Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, March 23rd. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're going to dive into some more listener questions as we've got folks asking about all sorts of things uh, during these challenging times. Things like particular stocks, stocks like Axos and Upwork. Uh, We've got some questions on what to expect this coming earnings season and much more. Uh, Joining me as always, certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Well, wishing I could leave my house, but other than that, it's going pretty well. <laughs> I see you sitting there on your bed, so you're in the same same predicament as I am. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got to find the uh, the highest point in my house as far away as I can get from my dog so that when I put them outside, <laughs> I don't risk the listeners hearing them go off on uh, you know whatever squirrel is taunting them in the backyard. So hopefully, uh, this will stay quiet enough. But um, anyway... I digress. Uh, let's 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 talk about uh, what's going on here first and foremost in the markets today, Mac. Because I mean, it's it. We've got a new week. We've got uh, what appears to be some, uh, at least some progress with policymakers on coming up with a, a way to respond to this COVID nineteen crisis uh, from an economic stimulus perspective. I mean, I know last night that that there were they they were not able to, to come to an agreement with a vote. Uh, clearly, they're working together to make something something happen, and, and it sounds like uh, based on the latest headlines I'm seeing here uh, that they are very close. So I, I I'd be surprised if by the end of the day we didn't hear an announcement. In regard to some type of, of stimulus, uh, but but let just tell me a little bit about what you're feeling right now as to what the you know this stage of where we are uh, throughout this whole ordeal, Matt. Yeah, well, there's two ways that we can you know kind of weather the economic storm through monetary policy and fiscal policy. We saw the the uh, monetary policy end of it this morning, where I don't know if you saw, but the Fed is um, increasing its quantitative easing program from. The previously announced seven hundred billion to an unlimited amount, so meaning that there will be liquidity in the market no matter what. Yeah, having, I did see that. So, having said that, the Fed's actions only help if Congress does its thing and gets money in people's hands, and <laughs> yeah. you know all the liquidity in the world doesn't matter if you know twenty percent of the country is unemployed. Yep. So, that I think the market's kind of pricing in the fact that Congress doesn't get along. And that there's a real chance that they won't come to an agreement. Um, having said that, I agree with you. I think they will come to an, some sort of agreement. I think it'll be bigger than people are expecting. Um, I think a lot of the delays is things being added to it. We'll see. So I think it'll be a pretty big stimulus. Um, I don't want to predict the market's movement, but if we do see a stimulus today, um, I wouldn't want to be short. I'll put it that way. No, it definitely does feel like, given everything that's gone on. I mean, this is this is just obviously this one for the history books. I mean, this is none of us has, has been through um, anything really this dire. I think, but I mean, we've been through you know, the Great Recession, the housing crisis, one that that was similar. I mean, but but this is clearly different, and I mean, this has been a very a very quick freefall. Um, hopefully, that means that. This, however, however deep the recession may go, maybe it won't be as long. Um, I mean, I guess there's always a possibility that you avoid a recession, although I just don't see that being 
uh, realistic. I mean, I would think even if technically we avoided a recession, this still really is kind of what it feels like. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, it is really there's a very good way to put it. They're pricing in the fact that that Congress doesn't doesn't get along, and it, it does feel that way more often than not. Um, I mean, hopefully they're able to, to come together and. and become a little bit more unified in their approach here because I, I do feel like, I mean, I'm reading more and more, you know, we're starting to see the narrative here shift a little bit towards the economic toll. I mean, we understand that the health implications here as, as well as we can at least, but we can't just sit here in a holding pattern forever. And we're starting to see more and more conversations take place about that. Um, you, you can't just put, the entire country on hold and definitely uh it, even if you come through with just the phenomenal economic stimulus package right i mean at some point the wheels have to start turning again even just a little bit i would think right and that's kind of the million dollar question right now i don't think we're gonna you know get back to normal in a week or two but you know they're talking about july or august before the worst of this could be over and no one's gonna sit in their house till then no. So, I mean, I mean, people, there's going to be riots if that happens. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, be, I, I would be very surprised if that happened. But at some, like, at some point, we'll have to kind of, you know, maybe shift our strategy a little bit. I don't want to really speculate on what we're going to do. But, I mean, in China, everything's open. People just have to wear masks when they go in certain businesses, for example. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so I wouldn't, I mean, it, it could be conceivable that they would, you know, open full HQ, but everyone has to wear a mask or, you know, something to that effect. I could see sim- I mean not necessarily that but like with with extra precautions is kind of the point. Yeah, and, and I mean that that is that's a good point I think you know I was thinking about that. And I mean when you when you try to weigh all of the options and the way to solve this and I mean I, I don't think any one of us would sit here and tell you we have the solution but I mean, you try to look at things from all angles and try to figure, okay, what's the best solution here? What makes the most sense for the greatest number of people here? Uh, because, I mean, obviously we have 300 and, I don't know, 325 million people in this country, and obviously this is a global pandemic. But, um, I mean, we, we can control first and foremost what's what's going on here uh, on our home soil. I mean, what is what is the most sensible solution? I mean, is is the new normal going to work with masks and going to work with gloves or goggles or i mean is that a better solution than shutting things down completely right i mean shutting things down completely can help at least get an idea of what's going on and figure out a strategy but shutting things down completely doesn't work for very long i mean no but and and when i say like wearing masks to go into certain businesses i'm not talking about forever like at some point this is going to go away so it it would be a more uh, the the question is what would be a more bearable temporary measure to, yeah, to get rid of it. So at some point, and, and I mean, the real reason the market's freaked out is is because we don't know a whole lot about how this virus works. Uh, we don't know, you know, for example, how seasonal it is, how how warm, humid weather affects it. We don't know how long it's going to take for the. If we knew the date that it was going to peak, it would be really easy to plan for. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um, we don't know. And, and other countries, which we're learning more, but this is still a very new virus and we're, we don't really know how to react. And that's that's what's spooking markets. Markets hate uncertainty more than they hate bad news. Yeah, yeah, that's you're right. I mean, at least with bad news, you can price that in right now. The news is bad. We just have no idea how bad it really is. I mean, it's impossible to quantify. So I guess, uh, you know, it seems like, Every day, uh, limit up and limit down. That's just the that's just the language. That's the language that we're living by. And so, I guess we'll just have to tolerate it for now. I mean, it really does go to um, 
I think times like these really do, uh, I think, solidify our, our foolish approach to investing, though. I mean, in, in taking the long-term approach and making sure that we're well diversified. I mean, that, that really, this, these are the times when that really shows, shows the benefit. Because I, I would imagine that if you're well diversified and you've got 20 to 30 stocks that you own, I don't think all 20 to 30 of them are are in the red for you. I mean, there there are pockets where you're seeing some performance, and and you know, as we tell people, as as the numbers show, the longer they hang on to these great companies, the more those gains compound. So that even when times like this hit, I mean, my Amazon position, for example, I mean that I've had for, I mean, I guess close to a decade or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's 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 gotten shaved a little bit, but you know, I don't know how much. It's still doing really well, so it's just one of those things that I can kind of look at it and say, oh, well, you know, it's it's things are okay. So so uh, you know, you make sure to, to diversify your portfolio and throw some some of the uh, bigger, more stable names in there, and, and take some of your your rule breaker style investments and put them all together. It kind of works out well. Uh, but with that said, let's steer away from the market talk right now regarding COVID-19. Let's take uh, a look at some of these questions that we got from um, our listeners over the last week. We had a few questions come in a little bit late last week uh, after we had taped our episode where we where we did the Q&A from, from Twitter. Um, and we also had some email that, that came in recently, so we wanted to get to all those for you today. So the first question we have here is regarding Simon Property Group. Uh, it says, hi, fools. Thanks for all you do. It's been really great how you all have ramped up the content and access for us members during these tumultuous times. Question on Simon Property Group. Do you think their dividend is safe at these levels? I know chasing yield is bad, but this was a recommendation prior to COVID-19. And assuming things get back to normal, what could or should we anticipate happening to the yield? They had been on the path towards dividend aristocrat. Will this derail that? Thanks again, Mark C. Matt, you know Simon Property Group really well. What's your take here? Well, the first thing I would say is that those are actually two different questions, whether or not the yield will continue and whether or not it's a good stock to buy at this point. So taking those one at a time, right now, if you look based on the dividend yield, uh, Simon yields about 17% right now um, based on the current share price. It's lost about two-thirds of its value over the past month. Um, And it's not hard to see why. I mean, this is a mall operator that's not operating malls. Yeah. So it's yeah. You know, it's a you know pretty easy reason, easy way to see that um, why it's getting hit. Um, they've closed all their properties last week. If you didn't see, um, they could keep paying the dividend if they wanted to. One thing they did since this downturn started, they expanded their credit facility. They now have nine and a half billion dollars of borrowing capacity available, and and because of the low interest rate environment, they actually got this credit facility at a lower interest rate than their previous one. So they have a lot of access to low-cost capital if they wanted to keep paying their dividend. That doesn't mean it's the best move. Um, what we're seeing in the real estate sector, especially, is a lot of companies choosing to suspend their dividend just to conserve capital as kind of an abundance of caution, kind of the same idea behind closing the properties. Um, it's an abundance of caution, keeping the capital where it should be. Um, one of my others just, just uh, announced they were suspending the dividend till the end of 2020. And at that point, they would determine uh, how much they could afford to pay for the year, you know, retroactively. Right. So I could see Simon doing something like that. I'd I'd be surprised if the dividend kept being paid as is if this drags on for another month or two. Um, but having said that, I do think Simon will be a long term winner. I think demand is getting very very built up right now. 
Um, I think when we do get back to normal, you're going to see people going to the mall, people traveling, people, you know, going out to eat and more than ever. So once we get the all clear, so I think it's going to be a winner long-term, whether if you need income, steady income from your stocks, I wouldn't be too quick to count on it. But I think from a long-term perspective, it's a great stock. Okay. Uh, well, that sounds good to me, Mark. I hope that's helpful for you. Uh, we have another question here. It looks like from Vin Tran. Vin asks, can you do a market analysis for Axos Financial, once revolutionary with online banking, with companies such as Jack Henry and Associates now democratizing the online banking platform? What is Axos Financial's outlook? And then Vin also goes on to ask, can you also speak to how the low interest rates affect Axos's outlook versus its industry peers. So let's just take that one at a time here. First and foremost, Matt, you you know a little bit about Axos. This used to be uh, Bank of the Internet, right? Yeah, this is one we followed for a while. Bank of the Internet was one of the first online banks. And uh, I, the, the question's right. They, they have lost some of their competitive advantages over the past few years as the online banking space continues to grow, especially since some of the big players are really getting involved in online banking, like Marcus by Goldman, for example. Right. Um, now, having said that, there are some advantages to Axos business model. Um, for example, um, remember they're the, the only provider of the refund loans for H&R Block. If you get a tax refund and you want your money now, it comes through Axos. So that's a really good, a very valuable partnership that gives them a lot of cross-selling opportunities, um, things like that. So as far as the low rate part of it, online banks that generally pay higher than average interest rates on deposits. Um, you know, if you walk into your neighborhood Bank of America or Wells Fargo, you're probably going to get like 0.01% on a savings account, if that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, online banks pay in the neighborhood of 1, 1.5% on deposits right now. So they have a lot more room to reduce what they're paying out in order to kind of prevent margins from getting compressed in low interest environments, if that makes sense. So there's some advantages to the online model. Like I said, Axos has lost some of its competitive advantage. The growth is still impressive, especially after their H&R Block partnership. And the stock's down over 50% this year. Um, I mean, their market cap's below a billion now, despite all this growth. Um, so in trading by far at their lowest price to book in a long time. Um, I personally don't own the stock right now, but I like their business model. I could see them definitely rebounding nicely when this is all said and done. Well, we talk a lot about um, – we have talked a lot about consolidation in the banking sector over the past year. And you know, it strikes me that there's certainly the potential for some consolidation here in the coming in the coming year, given that we've seen. I mean, that this this bear market has obviously left left no stone unturned. I mean, every company has suffered, and and you know, banks uh, certainly it feels like they've suffered more than others, uh, given the low interest rate environment. But do you feel like I mean, is as Axos a, a business where I mean, do you think there's is the opportunity of, of, of an acquisition that you feel like there's a bigger partner out there that, that wouldn't mind rolling that model into their, into their business. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I think as soon as we get a little more certainty on what's going on, you're going to see just kind of an uptick in M and a activity across the board. Um, right now is, I mean, 
the reason you've heard Buffett, the reason they haven't acquired anything is because valuations have been too high. Yeah. I'm sure he's not the only one. This is not a Buffett <laughs> problem. It's, you know, people don't want to overpay for anything. So yep. as now that valuations have kind of crashed back down to earth, if you will, um, I, I could see uh, some of the smaller players, especially the stronger, fast growing ones like Axis becoming having targets on their back. So one more question here and just regarding uh, access, because it reminds me a little bit of another bank that we've talked about before in Live Oak. And I know that you know Live Oak really well also. Um, and we we had the president of Live Oak, Huntley Gary, on the show not all that long ago. And it, Live Oak was impressive to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, it, it is that same no branch model, right? I mean, it's it's all about the technology and really their focus on lending in the small business uh, arena. Is, is what their forte is. That's what that's what separates them from the others. Um, did, give, given Live Oak's focus on on lending in small business, does Axos have? Is there something that is Axos's bread and butter that either we can look at and say, oh, that's a great opportunity, or that's something we need to be aware of? Uh, mortgages, particularly non-conforming mortgages, um, jumbo loans are one of their big specialties. For example, Ooh. Um, so. Kind of an interesting area right now. We don't know how this is going to end up affecting the mortgage market or the housing market. Um, it probably will affect the housing market. Yeah. But um, as far as access to loan portfolio, they're very, I mean, they have done a good job of diversifying their operations over the past few years. They're still very much a mortgage lender. And like I said, jumbo mortgages, meaning those that are too high for Fannie and Freddie to buy, Yeah. Um, are their kind of bread and butter. Hmm. All right. Well, good information to have, and thanks for the question, Vin. Uh, next question we have here. Dear Motley Fool Analysts, I first heard the idea of Adobe merging with DocuSign from the Motley Fool podcasts. Is this idea even more compelling after the arrival of the bear market? Thanks, Jerry from Florida. Uh, Jerry, I, you know, I, I understand the sentiment there, certainly, and um, I, I, I definitely have floated that idea before, given that Adobe does have a digital signing, uh, dig digital signature uh, dynamic to the business. Um, and, and I think that with DocuSign, they really, I think Adobe probably covets DocuSign's uh, presence in the small and, and medium-sized business market there as well. Uh, DocuSign has obviously done a whole heck of a lot in in not really that long of a time. And, and while I understand the sentiment, you know, DocuSign is actually up around 10% this year, which is you know, the seeing stocks that are up this year right now, few and far between. Um, DocuSign certainly understandable in that it's it's more or less the, the whole reason for being is that you don't have to physically be there to get contracts signed and, and taken care of. So I, you know, I, I can certainly understand why the market would be viewing a stock like DocuSign uh, more positively in this environment, given that the stock is up 10% this year. That may stave off offers, I think, is they know I mean, any any company that would want to acquire DocuSign, I think, knows going into that deal, they would have to offer up a very pretty penny, given all of the metrics that DocuSign continues to to ring up. I mean, just going through their most recent earnings release, I mean, we could see tremendous growth, and not only just the customer base, but really the enterprise customers. Uh, I mean, they just they really continue to get it done, and the numbers they 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 continue to record are uh, really impressive. And if you've used the product, then you understand why. Um, you know, I've, I've always seen DocuSign as a, a really good business. It's not one that necessarily has some obvious competitive advantage or moat, 
um, other than just being a really good business in, in building into a, a trend that's developing here in digital signatures and contract management. Uh, and that means maybe maybe over time they could build a competitive maybe they develop a competitive advantage and that that uh, you know you see some some network effects or some switching costs that that come from uh, the services and capabilities that they continue to build out. I would not be looking for Adobe to make an acquisition like that, frankly. I think they just they'd have to offer up more than they probably want to pay at this point. And given that Adobe's forte, their bread and butter, so to speak, is really it's it's in digital media. Um, I, I just don't know that they view uh, the contract management market as their biggest opportunity. Um, perhaps an acquisition would be the way that they would want to gain that entry. And, and certainly DocuSign is the biggest player in the space. Uh, it's, it's anyone's guess as to whether that uh, happens or not. As a shareholder of, of Adobe and DocuSign both, I think I'd like to see them both just continue going on their separate ways and doing their own things though. So I don't know that I'd be looking for the acquisition, but hey, anything can happen. Thanks for the question, Jerry. Uh, next question we have here. Thanks for the great financials episode this week, Jason and Matt. You're welcome. The Q&A was really helpful. I know I'm late to the game, but what are your thoughts on Seritage? I opened a small position. It's my first read a couple of weeks ago after hearing about it on the podcast. Uh, so, Matt, what do you say there? I know you follow Seritage. I know that you have some ideas as to uh, what Seritage is all about. What do you think about that question there? Well, I wish I would have waited a couple of weeks to mention it in <laughs> retrospect. Um, no, I own stock too. Um, it's taken a massive hit. For those of you who don't know, it was um, it's a company that was created kind of to for the specific purpose of buying a bunch of Sears properties, with the idea that over time they're going to turn them into you know better shopping places than Sears and run them out to new tenants and things like that. Um, one of the unique aspects of Seritage is that its only creditor is Berkshire Hathaway, um, in that Berkshire oh, really? Hathaway Berkshire Hathaway gave it a two billion dollar credit line a few years ago. And this is the less publicized part. Uh, Warren Buffett himself is Saratage's biggest shareholder in his personal stock portfolio, not in Berkshire. So the kind of uncertain part right now is that this, the $2 billion credit line was structured in two parts. There was $1.6 billion that Saratage got right away. And then the other $400 million is kind of contingent on them meeting certain leasing goals you know, leasing up a certain percentage of the converted properties and then Berkshire will give them more money, you know, to make sure that they have enough cash coming in to cover the debt. So long story short, they're not going to get that goal. Nobody's signing new leases on, on retail real estate right now. Um, you know, the places are shut down. Nobody's going to, you know, expand at the moment. Right. So the million dollar question is, what is Berkshire going to do? Um, are they going to force Seritage into bankruptcy, which I don't see happening? Are they going to modify the terms of the agreement? Are they going to offer them a little extra financing or some other kind of lifeline to get through this? And if they do, what would that mean for common shareholders? Would it be like a dilutive action or something like that? Um, so in my book, to kind of answer your question, Seritage is kind of a wait and see. I've, I've thought of buying more. I haven't yet. Um, it looks very, very tempting at the current price. I mean, it's lost about 80% of its value. So, but there's a lot that could go wrong and there's a lot that they could go right over the next few weeks. So I'm waiting on a little bit more clarification on what Berkshire is going to do in terms of funding for the business before I make any decisions. 
All right. Well, that's good information. That question came in from Ian Gray on Twitter at Ian the Gray. So, Ian, we hope that was helpful for you. And, and again, thanks for the question there. And uh, before we continue, as, as a reminder for those of you looking for more stock ideas, because let's face it, if you're listening to the show, then you're always looking for more stock ideas. I mean, Matt, you and I are always looking for stock ideas, right? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why not? And maybe this is something we should do after we get done taping. Let's go check out the Stock Advisor service because you'll get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month. You get Best Buys now and a whole lot more. So if you just go to if.fool.com, you can take advantage of a special 50% discount we have for our listeners. Make sure to go check it out at if.fool.com. Okay, we have another question here from HumbleTwig, at HumbleTwig on Twitter. And HumbleTwig says, hello, guys. Can you please share your thoughts on Upwork? It offers the ability to work from home, recent insider transactions, price to sales three and a half, less than one third of the price a year ago. Is this a value trap or is it worth having on your radar? Thanks for the great show and the valuable insights. And Humble Tweak, thank you for the question. That's a really good one. And it, I think it's very appropriate for this time now as, as we're, I think we're in the middle of seeing really, a, I, I think we're seeing a massive sea change in the way that we view how we do our work. Um, as, as work starts to pick back up, as daily lives kind of get back to normal, whenever that does start happening, I do think we're going to see some changes in behavior. And, and um, you're seeing that everything, everything from, telemedicine to document management to employment. And certainly Upwork plays into that space there. Um, I, I mean, Matt, you and I, I think both have some insight here. I mean, I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw a couple of points in. because I, I don't know that I necessarily see Upwork as a value trap. Um, I, I can see the market opportunity. I understand there are tailwinds there. For me, though, when I look, when I look at Upwork as a business, I don't know what makes it special. Um, and I would be worried about its status as the middleman in this case. Now, I, I say this because... You know, I, I go back to some personal experience I've had just in connecting with people in in my work. And initially, those connections were made with a middleman, and then that middleman essentially got phased out as the lines of communication uh, bet between me and, and the other party were were a little bit more consistent, reliable. So, I mean, it, it was just you know, for me, I, I could see where that middleman status could be a problem down the line. So, I mean, it is a really small company right now. It is getting ready to enter a period of time that is going to test it in virtually every way possible. It's not profitable. It's not cash flow positive. I don't consider its balance sheet a source of strength, um, given its size and in, in, in the current environment we're in. So, then I, I try to identify the catalyst or the long-term trend that, that takes this company forward. And, and I do see the long-term trend there um, in the market as a, as a freelance economy uh, continues to develop. But, you know, for me, I don't see any reason to invest in a business like this today, given what we know. I'd rather buy something like this on the way up when we know it's winning and when there's a little bit more certainty in, in the economy. Um, you know, Matt, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I just fired out just one of those random thoughts on Twitter that, uh, thankfully, it was one of those ones that, you know, didn't get me in any trouble. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's it's an easy time in these times when the market is down so much so quickly. It's really easy to go looking through your portfolio for those stocks that are down big, uh, companies that you want to, you know, you want to cut your cost basis in half, you want to buy on the dip. That's fine. I mean, I understand that sentiment and sometimes it can work. 
But I, you know, I, I more oftentimes than not, it doesn't really work. I think bad businesses just tend to be bad businesses. And I'm not saying Upwork is necessarily a bad business, but I'm not saying it's a good business either. I guess when the jury's still out for me, um, I, I think that this is a time where I'd rather be buying into some of these really, really good businesses out there that are on uh, on sale today. I think they're just really good looking prices. And we'll talk about some of those businesses later. Um, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on, on Upwork? Hey, everything you said, I just, and, and it, I just think their fee structure might not be maintainable. Um, I could see them being disrupted. Like, for example, what's to stop a big player like Amazon from creating a job, a freelance marketplace? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and competing with them on price. I mean, Upwork's fee, I, I don't quote me directly on this, but I want to say it's about 10%. Um, they charge freelancers 10% of withdrawals in most cases. Wow. Um, so that's a hefty haircut if you're working full time as a freelancer. Yeah. So I could definitely see a bigger player coming in and kind of trying to compete with them on price and that really pushing down margins. I like the product, um, but as we've seen time and time again, a great product doesn't make a great business necessarily. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's kind of my opinion on Upwork at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to your point on those fees, I mean, 88% of their revenue comes from those fees it collects as the middleman. I mean, that's, you know, 90% of their money essentially comes from, you know, that status as the middleman. I mean, you have to, you have to kind of look at anytime you see the position of the middleman, I'm not saying middleman's bad, but you just have to ask yourself the questions. How do they maintain that position in, in potentially how do they widen their advantage in the space i'm just i just it's just not clear to me today with upwork for me there are just a ton of really good businesses out there that are just uh, way more attractive so you know I, if you own upwork i mean i i I don't know what to tell you. Maybe, maybe you hold on to it if you own it. I don't know. I, I don't know that I'd have it at the top of my list today to, to be adding to my portfolio. Um, but, you know, there you go. We, we do hope that's helpful. And uh, Humble Twig, thanks again for the question. Um, and final question here, Matt, and this is, I think, kind of a doozy. That's why we saved it for last because uh, it could stoke, I think, an interesting discussion here. We got a, a question on Twitter from at and underscore island underscore bear. And this individual asks, quite simply, what should we look for in upcoming earnings? And Matt, when I saw this question, I knew immediately, I and mean, we could probably do an entire show just on this one question. So we're not going to take the next 45 minutes of our listeners' lives, but let's take five minutes and kick around some ideas. What are some of the things that you're looking for in this upcoming earnings season? Because Wells Fargo's next earnings date is April 14th, and the big banks, they really are the ones that kind of kick off earnings season for us. So it's not that far down the road we're going to see these companies start reporting. What do you have your eye on? Well, I could answer the question real quick. Earnings are going to be bad. (laughs) (laughs) There's very few parts of the market that are going to be spared by this. Yeah. um, Including some of the defensive sectors like real estate. Um, I'd say balance sheets become more important than ever in an environment like this. Mm -hmm. Throw all, um, you know, like PE multiples and stuff like that out the window. Um, In terms of the banks themselves, there's three things I'm looking at. Um, this is going to hit the banks in one of three main ways. Well, probably all three, but to which extent? Um, one, there's going to be less demand for loans. So banks aren't going to bring in as much new business. Nobody's going out to buy a new car. Very few people are going out to buy new cars right now. Um, few people are borrowing money to buy, you know, the mortgages have come down. So that could be a silver lining. 
but I mean, personal loans, the market's kind of drying up for right now. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to run up my credit cards, there's nothing nowhere for me to go shopping right now. <laughs> so <laughs> banks are going to see loan demand drop considerably. So that's one thing to look for. Um, and any comments on where it could be going? Because remember, this is going to extend into the second quarter. It won't all, and we had two really good months in the first quarter. So it's not all going to be reflective. Um, two interest margins are going to go down. They just are. Um, the Fed, you know, slashed interest rates from, 1.5% to zero. Um, so that you're going to see uh, bank margins start to contract a little bit. Uh, the question just is how much. Um, it's not, their banks aren't going to make zero. It's it, They're still going to charge interest on auto loans, mortgages, things like that. Yeah. So the question just becomes how bad is it going to be? And three, if we're heading into a recession and unemployment's going to spike, again, the, the stimulus coming up will have a lot, a, a few answers to offer here too. But uh, what will that do to default rates? Will people still be able to pay their existing loans um, after the financial crisis, not just in mortgages, which caused the financial crisis, but in all kinds of loans? We saw a big uptick in defaults, like on credit cards and auto lending and things like that. So that's another way banks could get, get hit really bad. So there's three ways that banks can get hit really, really bad out of this, um, which is why you're seeing the financial sector underperform the overall market. Um, so that's what I'm looking for with bank earnings. I'm not looking at the traditional metrics. I really, you know, I don't care how much, you know, they made over the past 12 months. Cause that's really irrelevant at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, you know, I, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about that earlier. It just, you, you have to believe, man, if you, if you think we live in an adjusted earnings world now, I mean, holy cow, this is getting ready to just go to a new level. Um, and I don't, you know, that's, that's going to be for quarters and quarters to come. I think the adjustments that are going to be made from this to try to paint some sense of normalcy over it to, to understand a little bit more about how these businesses are dealing. Um, you know, I've, I've also thought to me, like it's, it's interesting, like this is, this is a, one of those sorts of black swan events, right? I mean, this is just one of those things we could never really foresee. I mean, before we, before this started, you know, I mean, there was, there was, I think a pretty robust conversation going on about how tech was really um, wiping out a lot of jobs, right? And we talk about that a lot, not only on this show, but at work. I mean, on, on all of our shows for a while is that theme is technology has been killing a lot of jobs. And, you know, what we're seeing here, unfortunately, is that tech isn't the only thing that can wipe out the employment sector, right? I mean, We've got something here that is just wiping out potentially thirty percent of our employment force here. That it's just gonna it's gonna take jobs left and right. So it, it'll be interesting to me to kind of see down the road where that discussion for tech um, killing jobs sort of falls. I you know I, I don't really know. I mean it's certainly it's all in the name of progress, but uh, this this has been I think uh, just a, an, an unbelievable time and in its impact on the the uh, the workforce. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to quantify in the near term. And I think trying to figure out how much the market is pricing in today is, is I, I don't want to say it's it's an exercise in futility, but I, I don't think like if we had companies coming out here in a month and really trying to lay out some some numbers and quantify this for us, I, I think I'd, I'd be a little bit more skeptical of that. Like, I, it, to me, I don't think there's been enough time um, to really have a full idea of how this is going to, to impact some of these businesses. And I mean, some, maybe it'll be a little bit easier than others, but I, I think that if I saw companies trying to give us granular data and firm numbers 
that would I, I would be a little bit skeptical of that. Yeah, and uh, thankfully no one's doing that yet. Yeah. Um, what I'm seeing a lot, especially in the real estate sector, um, is companies kind of giving updates every week or so, just kind of here's how things are affecting us. One of my favorite companies is a hotel REIT. Um, and they kind of have been issuing guidance every few weeks, like, okay, here's how many cancellations we've had. Here's, you know, which that's nice to kind of like let you know where things stand, but not like how it's going to affect the earnings because or how long it's going to last or. I mean, if anybody offers second quarter guidance in their first quarter earning report, just skip over that section. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there, there's no way they can predict what's even for, even for the rest of the year, there's no way that anyone can issue guidance except for maybe a teledoc or something like that with any level of accuracy. Um, it's just nobody, it's been way too volatile, especially in, in banking interest rates have just been so volatile. No one knows what's going to happen. Um, it's not like it's, not like you can really rely on the Fed's dot plot at this point for where interest no. rates are going. No. Nope. So, I mean, any, any guidance you see, take it with a grain of salt. Just kind of, like I said, with banking, look at those three areas, uh, loan growth or declines, uh, interest rate margins and defaults. Those are the, the kind of the clues that'll tell you where we're going. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately, you know, you invest today based on the assumption that our country and that our economy will still exist in five years. Um, I, I mean, for me personally, that's a bet I'm willing to make every single time, uh, regardless of the scenario. And, and, and for me, uh, w- with that in mind, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at just the best businesses out there and, and, and looking for ways to be a part of of their recovery. I mean, the, the belief is that they will recover. And so, I mean, I, I think you have a lot of wonderful businesses that have led our country to this point. Uh, you know, we will we'll get through this. And, and on the other side, I think you're going to see a lot of those great businesses continue to prosper. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's ultimately it. Is this earnings season looking for a lot of uncertainty, a lot of, a lot of, uh, probably a lot of cheerleading, a lot of people really uh, coming together, a lot of unity. Um, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see at least some type of optimism here for the remainder of the year, though I know right now it's a little bit difficult to see for some. Uh, Matt, before we wrap it up here real quick, let's just take a look at our ones to watch for the week. What's a stock that you're going to be watching for the coming week? Well, I think we're both doing kind of the what we were talking about with the great businesses that are on a discount that'll bounce back nicely. My The one that I'm finally thinking about buying is Disney. Um, ticker is DIS. I've, been nice. looking, I've wanted to have Disney in my portfolio for about two years now and just kind of was hesitant to pull the trigger on valuation reasons primarily like a, a Buffett reason yep um, and right now their parks are shut down the cruise line shut down they say they're going to reopen the parks at the end of this month they're, that's not going to happen let's be honest they're, they're, that's going to extend well into April at the very least um, also ESPN they own ESPN and there's no sports to show right now so Disney's just getting getting kicked on all sides Um I don't even know what's on ESPN right now. <laughs> I've seen some stuff on Twitter. I think it's all kind of revolving around the Ocho and some of the funny games that they have on on um, on the Ocho. There was there's one I think up there called Death Diving, which was kind of crazy <laughs> looking. I mean, uh, you know, folks leaping from like 30 feet up to do just the most insane belly flop style dives uh, yep. they can come up with. So, I mean, hey, you know, maybe it's not sport in the traditional sense but it's entertaining for sure and, and um, this is this is something you want to look for is uh 
a business that is going to have staying power. I mean, Disney World is still going to have annoyingly long lines when they reopen. <laughs> even I, with the fast pass, Matt? <laughs> even with that. I mean, ESPN is still going to make a ton of money showing sports when they come back on. It's it's going to be like, no, Disney's not going anywhere. They have so much brand power. I mean, they can't release their movies right now. Any All their, their franchises, they can't release any movies in theaters right now. Yep. So um, there's going to be so much built up demand. I mean, people who have had their Disney trips canceled, it's, there's going to be a lot of built up demand. They might even get an uptick afterwards. Oh, so, man. So um, Disney's lost about, you know, it's almost been cut in half since its peak. I know. Um, and I think it's looking very tempting right now. I might actually buy some in my kids' accounts. Um, I, I know you have stock for for your kids as well, and it's a great way to teach them about investing when they're a little older. So oh, if, yeah. if I could buy Disney now and then in 10 years say, hey, look what I paid for this and look what it's worth <laughs> now, then it seems like a good move. Yeah, yeah, I think you'd be happy with that. Well, I mean, in in line with with uh, your Disney thoughts there, yeah, my my stock. Uh, keeping an eye on Starbucks and uh, the, the I, I can actually talk about it now. You know, for a long time, my girls uh, own Starbucks, my daughters own Starbucks. I never actually personally owned it, though I drink an awful awful lot of their product every single day. I mean, like every day. And it, and it just always struck me, why did I not own that stock? And it just, it was always kind of bugging me. Um, I mean, a wonderful dividend payer that should should be around. I mean, let's hope indefinitely. Um, stock, talk about stock being cut in half. That stock had been basically cut in half. When I finally opened a position in Starbucks last week, um, and, and so that's that's a stock that I had on my radar to to uh, get into my personal portfolio as a nice sort of protecting your wealth dividend play that I think is going to have a nice little option there for some capital gains given the pullback that we've seen. Um, and then I will say also, you know, we we'd always talked about Howard Schultz leaving and how would Kevin Johnson fill that void. I, I would encourage listeners if you own Star- Starbucks, if you are interested in owning Starbucks, um, Google. There's a message from Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. If you just Google Kevin Johnson, a time for resilience, uh, you'll pull up this uh, note. It's a letter to Starbucks customers and partners uh, from Kevin Johnson, the CEO and the president of the company. And it's just, it's a good read. I think it's what leadership looks like, honestly. And and I read this and I felt like, you know what? I'm really glad I own shares in this company. Uh, so we'd encourage listeners to to check that out. And certainly we'll tweet a link out to that on the on the Twitter feed. Uh, for all to check out. And speaking of Twitter, remember you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. We're always interested in uh, how you guys are investing through times like these, ideas that are popping up on your radar, or hey, if you just have questions that you need answered, lob them our way. We'll see what we can do for you. But Matt, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, appreciate you taking the time here to join as we are all remote still. That'll change eventually too, but it seems like uh, we still got it working and that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in person as soon as it's practical to do so. <laughs> soon enough, my friend, soon enough. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for continuing to make all of this happen. We could not do it without you, bud. Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 